Austin Bowtie looking sharp this morning. Looking really good. Praise God. Well, this morning, uh, part two, Elders of Awesomeness. Elders of Awesomeness, part two. And uh, this is is uh, really actually pretty fun. I, I've been really enjoying uh, just kind of this exposition of some of these different passages. And we're going to put these passages up here and read them together in just a minute, starting with 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Ready to go on that court? Not quite ready for that yet. Take that down. Take it down. Take it down. Don't let them see it. Take it down. There we go. Uh, before we do... I wanted to make you aware that we have something um, very unique and very special coming up here in the first weekend in May. We have some special guests coming from out of town, uh, Pastor Phil and Heather Playfoot from Horsham, England. So when Andrew White, who is one of our admin guys here. Uh, when he was in, living in England, uh, Pastor Phil was his pastor. And Lisa and I have had a couple different opportunities on our twos and fro's coming through Switzerland and different places traveling to spend some time and get to know he and his wife. And they are amazing people. He first came here to the States. is actually the first time I met him. He came here on a pilgrimage a sabbatical and he was he came to to Kirkland and he wanted to come and he'd heard about this whole thing about forming relationships and undistracted devotion and and things that my dad had been teaching in the church and he came wanted to know more about this and so that was kind of one of his priorities in coming to this area while he was spending some time just taking a sabbatical uh, in the ministry so He's now the associate pastor of that church. I said he one of the most humble men I've ever met, and I'm not just saying that. But he heard a word from the Lord that he was supposed to, in a sense, role reverse with the associate pastor at that time and him become the associate pastor and the other guy become Andy, become the senior pastor. And it has been a wonderful transition, and God has been doing some amazing things. You'll remember Sarah Rowlandson uh, that just did the prophetic conference a couple of years ago. Oh, my wife's disagreeing on me. Usually I know maybe I've done something wrong when she's doing that. But, uh, yeah, she's giving me the eye like, hey, baby. Uh, so, but Sarah Rowlandson was here for that prophetic conference. She is part of their church in Horsham. They have a, a really wonderful prophetic ministry and school there. So anyway, they're going to be here. Uh, we're, we've got some uh, a community night that uh, second or the first Wednesday in May. So we'll be getting more information. But I just wanted to preview, preview that for you just a little bit so that you know that that is coming. So it'll be interesting. Trinity and I fly in Saturday night from on May 3rd from Kenya. And then we go into uh, he- Phil and Heather uh, being here and he'll preach that Sunday. So we've got some exciting stuff. So if I'm up here and nobody's up here, but I'm strewn out just across the front row, you'll know why, because I'm trying to catch up on sleep and jet lag and all that. Okie dokie. Elders of awesomeness. Holy Spirit, you're the technician, you're the orchestrator making this whole thing happen. 
And we say that in faith because we're actually capable of making something happen in these types of gatherings, but we don't want that to be the case. We don't want to manufacture something. We want you to be the one who is spearheading. Jesus, you are the head of your church, and we're following you. And so we just receive your direction in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, last week, just to touch on just a couple things in regards to eldership. We're here, North Shore, in the process of discerning who are the elders of this congregation. Uh, right now, kind of, you know, a one-pony show with uh, one elder. And so we're looking at, God, who are you calling to help lead this congregation? And we know, uh, we recognized last week that uh, for a local church that has no vision, no sense of responsibility to take the gospel to the nations, to be an impact to their community, to bring the kingdom of God, that church has no need of elders. But if they do understand that they have a biblical mandate to bring the gospel, to disciple the nations, to, uh, you know, to see God's bride mature and be prepared for him to be used in any way that is necessary, that church is in great need of elders. So from local to global, we begin to see the world as our church. If we're just looking at this, hey, where's your church? Oh, it's, it's, we meet over in the Northgate area. It's this building, Seattle Jewish Community School. We're missing it. But if we begin to see that the, the world, the nations locally to globally is our church, then we're beginning to see through kingdom lenses rather than just kind of a church myopic view. Does that make sense? We don't want to have tunnel vision in regards to the church and who we are and what we're supposed to be about. So Jesus is head of his church, as we said in Colossians 1.18. So I want to just give props to a number of people that are much smarter than me, uh, and uh, but church leaders and different ones. Um, so I'll just mention them. Wayne Grudem, J.P. Smythe, Phil Playfoot, Randy Howard, Rick Renner. And uh, I'm not going to necessarily point out the things that they shared, but just to give them props right from the very beginning on some of the things. Uh, these, a lot of these things are not unique to me. But let's uh, read through this text this morning. Allow some of these things to go in. We'll start with 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Courtney, if you could put that up. Here we go. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, he desires an honorable position. So an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? An elder must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. 
All right? And then we're going to read in Titus 1, 6 through 9. She's frantically typing in the text. An elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife. And his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. An elder is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent or dishonest with money. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home. He must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he has taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. Excellent. Good job. Give yourselves a hand. Well done. It's very good. Very good to, for us to get into the Word this way, let it go deep into us, impact us. So from God's perspective, we see clearly in Scripture that elders are not an option. Elders are not an option. If you have a configuration of a church in some way, but no elders, technically the Scriptures are clear that that is actually not a church. Acts 14.23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in every church and prayed for them with fasting. Did you get that? They appointed elders in every church, prayed for them with fasting, turning them over to the care of the Lord in whom they had come to trust. So it indicates Paul, basically his normal protocol would be to go, he would lead people to Christ, which would make up the nucleus or the center point of the of this new church. And then he would travel and he would come back around and he would appoint elders or he would send someone like Timothy and Titus to go and appoint elders in those places. Uh, Paul, uh, James, Peter, all of them, When the, you'll notice when they write the letters, um, it, it says that um, their spe- he was writing to letters of all the known churches in the world at that time. And he says elders, plural. So every church that was around had a plurality of eldership. And so that was the main assumption that they had, that there was leadership governing and keeping watch over those churches to help them mature and grow into who they were supposed to become in Christ. Some of the qualifications and functions of an elder. Elders are referred to as pastors or bishops or overseers in the New Testament. You may now affectionately refer to me as Bishop Trout. Uh, this word bishop is, is the most common one. In, in the Greek, it's the word episkopos, and it means to watch, to look, to observe, or to survey. So this is someone who's been given responsibility to supervise, manage, and to provide oversight of a particular job. In Greek society, this word bishop was used for someone who was a ruler over a country or a region, a city. So it's a, it's a political term that Paul was using to bring into the church so that everybody knew what was going on. So he would, that this person would rule and govern and was responsible for the citizens of this country or region. 
It was also something I think is very interesting, which helps us understand more of what the church is about. But it's also someone who is a construction supervisor over a building project. Isn't that a cool way to look at it? So a bishop, okay, Jeff Olmsted, uh, has been involved in supervising, um, and, and he would, that's, that would be his job title. I think previously you're not doing that exactly right now. Is that true? But for quite a few years was a construction supervisor. Uh, Jim Bradford would be another example of this. And uh, so he was in charge of making sure that the funds were spent properly so that there was a budget, uh, placing workers in the right jobs. The other week we referred to the bus, good to great, the book, Good to Great, and that we're getting everybody on the bus and in their right positions where they're called according to their gifting and what, how, how God has called them to function uh, within the context of the church and in his kingdom. That's placing workers in the right jobs and to make sure elders were responsible, bishops were responsible to build according to the proper code and design of the architects. Okay? Holding up the word of God because this is our life manual, right? And so we have to make sure God has a very important blueprint and design codes for how he wants his church built. The elders were supposed to know what the word of God said and be familiar with the architectural design so that they could build accordingly. So we kind of think of when we think of bishop, what do we think of? long gown, kind of funny looking hat and, and all this, but that was not what uh, any, in, by any stretch or imagination, what Paul was talking about. He was talking about, Timothy, you need godly men to come alongside you and help in this building work. It's spiritual construction zone is what it really boils down to. So when identifying the qualifications of an elder, it's important to note that all of these points that we just read, there are things that need a number of years to prove the fruit of maturity. That's where the one reference, you know, that they wouldn't be a new believer and all. Uh, talk about this in a little bit here, but that so that their Christian living had time to be tested and tried. And so new believers are not able to serve as elders. Uh, if at all possible. Now, you can understand that in the early church, they had new believers who were elders. But Paul was writing after this, and they had learned some things, right? They had learned some things along the way. So by, I think by the time Timothy was coming along, uh, he was saying, you know what? We don't want to put people in positions too early. So this word in the Greek uh, about this new person, it refers to a new plant. Think of a new plant in your garden. Or it could refer to an old plant that's newly transplanted into your garden. Somebody comes in from the outside and we're like, man, giftings, talent, unbelievable. You know, it's like, you know, some leaders, they're just kind of drooling over these different talent and gifting that can come in. But we're not running the church like the NBA does. The NFL, where it's just strictly talent, and then off the court, off the field, you see their true character coming out, and it's just, it's an absolute disaster. 
And so here, uh, this, this new plant or an old plant newly transplanted. And this is, this is a principle. These principles that Paul is giving Timothy and to Titus, these are things for business. They're not just things for the church. These are really, really important. Politics. You don't put somebody in a new place of leadership in an organization unless they've been tried and tested and there's a knowing and being known in that organization. Why is that? Because they might become proud, Paul says. And here in the Greek word, I won't give you the different Greek words, um, but I'm just going to tell you what they, what they mean. It means to be, this might become proud, means to be wrapped in smoke. In other words, they would be blind or shrouded with arrogance. It's where we get the word typhoon, and that's where the damage and destruction comes. You get somebody who, it, I was sharing earlier about prophetic ministry. You see, if I, if I have a prophetic word, Lord gives me something, I get a download. If I give that word to you in the wrong time, that's, that could potentially be very, very destructive. Think about the things that for my kids, you know, my older kids, we talk about some of the, the intimate things in regards to marriage. They're getting older and so we're talking about, you know, birds and bees and all that kind of stuff. Well, with my seven-year-old, if I give that word prematurely, that could be very destructive to him. Okay, you know where I'm going with this. So that's what we're, we're talking about in terms of bringing somebody into a place or giving them a place of leadership prematurely. The devil would cause him to fall. And this is, in the Greek, it means actions that would lead to one's judgment. And we don't want to put somebody in a position. It's not that we're keeping something from someone. It's that we're keeping something for them if the time would come where God would make that clear. So these qualifications... Um, they really do not involve talent or gifting. As you read through that, I don't know if you noticed that, they don't have anything to do with really talent or gifting. Why? Because our lifestyles and our relationships speak of our true character. Okay? I look at different areas of, you know, my kids, if they're unruly in certain areas or they're not respectful toward authority, I know I have areas that I need to work on. So it's the, so he's going through, he's talking about his household, he's talking about his marriage. All those things reveal the character of the person that is a potential candidate. So these leaders, it's good to have leaders that can preach God's word. It's more important to have leaders that can live God's word. As an example to others, this is not optional. So... And I want you to notice as well that most all these qualifications refer to a man's present status, not his entire past. Okay? Most of us, most all of us would not qualify if that were the case. Okay? That's an important thing. So what we do is we marry God's wisdom and redemption when we're choosing candidates. Okay, God's all about restoring, redemption, and all that, but there's wisdom in terms of, okay, we might need to see a track record, a little bit of time go by where that becomes more clear. So, example would be maybe somebody's criminal past. He says they shouldn't be a lover of money, but maybe they were. Praise God, they're not anymore. Okay? But perhaps an alcoholic or, or whatever. So, God makes all things new. It's also important before we get into these different qualifications that uh, these are not attributes for a super species of Christian. 
Okay, But these are aspirations for all of us. So when we look at these different things, we're not going, oh, that's just for elders, so I can get loaded, I can get drunk, I can do whatever. No, these are things for all of us, for everyone. Uh, Again, all of us are equal in value before God, just like a husband and wife, but they serve different functions, and that's important for us to make that distinction. So what is the goal in all this? The goal is to be like Christ. This is not so that we can attain, somebody can attain elder status. Okay, I got number one. Okay, I got to work on this a little bit so I can get to that position. Wrong motivation. Wrong motivation. So, uh, these things are not easily quantifiable necessarily. So, rule his family well. Okay, how well? How well should he rule his family? So, there's, there's ambiguity and kind of a generality on some of these on purpose. We're supposed to follow the Holy Spirit, not a formula. Uh, eager to serve. Okay, how eager? Eager beaver serving type thing? Is that the kind of capacity we're talking about? Or, you know, how eager? So it, there's some ambiguity there that's not necessarily able to be measured. Uh, but we can take the rest of Scripture and discern what those things are. Finally, uh, just because someone qualifies for eldership doesn't mean that person is necessarily called to eldership by God to function in that, com- in that capacity. All right, let's get into number one. Number one is to desire a a noble and good work. It's a true saying that if someone desires, or this word desires, it means to stretch forward or to reach toward. To stretch forward or reach toward. Uh, to be an elder, he desires an honorable responsibility or a noble task, a good work. He's saying, hey, that's a good desire, and desire is very good, as long as it's focused in the right direction. What is the focus, the call of God on one's life or a position of leadership? So this speaks of one who is reaching toward, in other words, willing to let everything else go. Again, this is the call of any believer, any Christian, to let everything go. Take up your cross daily, deny yourself, and follow me. Every believer, but it's, he's laying this out here that you need to see this fruit in, in, an, in a potential candidate for eldership. He's willing to let other things go in order to, um, to respond to the call that God has on their life. The purpose is stretching forward, reaching for this call. And our focus, this is really key, should be on the work of service rather than the, on the title or position. Eldering is work. Work. People who are looking for a title and position are going to be very disillusioned. Upon coming into that place and the weight of work and responsibility is put on them. And it's like, oh yeah, I didn't really sign up for this. Well, too bad. God called you to this. Now embrace it and and get into the work. And uh, again, we're not basing this on gifting and talent. What we're looking for, what God is looking for, is servant leaders versus ruler leaders. Here's Jesus on leadership in the kingdom of God. Matthew twenty twenty five through 28. He, Jesus says this, You know that in this world, kings are tyrants, and officials lord it over the people beneath them. But among you, it should be quite different. 
Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must become your slave. That's a key for anyone desiring to be candidate, right? And that's a good thing to desire that, but to look to serve rather than to lead. For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Wow, that describes elders, that describes husbands, that describes wives, teachers, employers, siblings, everyone. I lay down my life for others. Augustine in the City of God, I like this quote, it says, An elder should not love worldly position or power, but only what can be properly and usefully accomplished by means of such position and power. And here's what he's wanting um, desires for bishops to um, in terms of having that position in power is contributing to the eternal salvation of those committed to one's care caring for them laying down their life for them number two number two got to be a man sorry ladies no chauvinism here, just the, the reality of what God is looking for. Not an issue of a statement of, uh, of, of value, but just a function. And uh, so that is another note here, number two. Although there is some indication that, some may, that, that women serve as deacons in the church, the call of an elder is for men only. Number three, the husband of one wife. And a wife who is submissive to her husband. Basically, Paul is prohibiting polygamy here at this point. So, he's not, pro- he's not prohibiting either widowed or previous- previously divorced men from serving as elders. Again, both this issue of the marriage of redemption and of wisdom are important when selecting leaders. But um, those people are not... Uh, prohibited. Number four, enjoy guests in the home. Enjoy guests in the home. And this word from hot in, hot, in terms of hospitality is the compound of two words. It's interesting. It means to love like a friend, a stranger or foreigner. To love a stranger or foreigner like you would a friend. So literally means to show compassion and kindness who, to those you don't know. That doesn't mean you treat people you do know poorly, but he is saying that you're, you're actually looking for opportunities to do that. And I, I love that because it really resonated with me in terms of what we've, you know, what this, the foundation of who we are, love God, love people, reach the unreached, touch the untouched, love the unloved. Um, so it's not necessarily those who are, are non-Christians, though it could be, but the both end, but of reaching, having people in your home. Or if you're not able to have them in your home, you know, putting them up in a hotel or, or whatever, people would come through. Because he was referencing how people would travel into these cities and they're going from one place to the next and having people in the home. What an opportunity to be able to share the life and love of Jesus in those things. So we have to, in order to do that, have to be continually reaching and touching other people's lives. Number five, not violent. Okay, no Mortal Kombat. Okay, you're going to have to throw that video game away. No. What it's referring to here is not being combative. Being non-combative in the sense that, can you, can you take a verbal punch? 
and just kind of, you know, or are you very defensive? Do you make excuses? Quarreling. Galatians 6, 1 is a great example of this. Uh, Gently restore. Gently restore those who have fallen in sin. In humility and gentleness, restore those. He says, those of you who are spiritual. You ever thought of yourself as really spiritual and then you just trash somebody and just like, oh man, God, please help me, help me, help me, help me. Being kind and compassionate when somebody brings something to you that is unkind and lacks compassion. Number six, alcohol. Clearly, in view of this specific command, if an elder chooses to drink alcohol, he must remain absolutely above reproach and not open to any accusation of drunkenness or tipsiness. Furthermore, he should avoid stumbling those who, for various reasons, find alcohol offensive. But Jesus, of course, already made that clear for all believers that we don't cause anyone to stumble, that we don't see our freedom as a right. So that we can just, you know, enjoy that, whatever it is, uh, you know, in front of other people. But if we know that that could be a stumbling block for somebody else, that we choose not to put the millstone around our head and throw ourselves into the ocean, as Jesus talked about. So we want to care for because it's about other people, not our right or biblical freedom even to do that. So Ephesians 5.18 is a great reference for this. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. I would say this. If you're not a person who's filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, eldership candidate or not, if you're not filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, you shouldn't be going anywhere near alcohol or any other intoxicating thing that you might consume. Okay? Food. If food is something that you don't have self-control in and you're not filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit in that regard, there should be a great limitation of food intake. You know, whatever those things are, okay? Media, you can plug anything in there, but don't be drunk. Don't be intoxicated with the things of this world. Number seven, apt to teach. You guys getting some good stuff out of here? Apt to teach, 1 Timothy 5.17, let, let, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And so what's the point here? There, there may be some who would, be given, who would be given more time to preaching and teaching, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they will necessarily make their living at that or that that, that that would even be one of the main functions that they have in the church. What he's referring to here, um, scholars believe, is that they have the ability, maybe not necessarily standing up and publicly teaching, but can they teach and share the gospel? Do they have a grasp on it so that in a personal setting they could lead someone to Christ, that they could share with them about certain and specific and important doctrines of the faith? Okay, that's what Paul is referring to here. Uh, also, Paul tells us in chapter 1, verse 9, an elder must have a strong belief or a, hold, a, a firm hold in the trustworthy message that he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong, as we read up here earlier. 
Number eight, humble. Humility. An elder is a man whose life, work, and family are on display for others. Uh, I've always talked to different guys that I have, you know, spoken into their life, discipled them, mentored them in different areas. And, and I've, I've always encouraged them, you know, co- getting together, having coffee or a meal is great. But I, I'd love to be able to have you in my home more because many more things are caught than they are taught. And you get to see somebody in the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, the kid blows up and, uh, you know, at the dinner table and it's like, oh, man. And, okay, what are you going to do now? We've had Mary Lennis staying with us the last few days. And uh, it's been great. She's been getting a real eye-opener about... You were one of six, though, weren't you? Yeah, so she's just getting kind of a rehearse uh, of what she grew up with. And, uh, but it's, it's been fun having her, but it, it never a dull moment in the trout house, the Walker home, wherever it is. Dave is still blowing up at the dinner table and stuff now, <laughs> but we're getting there. We're getting there. We're, I'm encouraged, man. And what I've seen. <laughs> Humility makes us open to correction. Can we be corrected? That's a, man, that's a big one. That is a big one. Can you be corrected? Is there enough, enough humble content within your person to be able to receive a word that is difficult that you don't like to hear? Humility makes us transparent and self-revealing. I don't remember the exact uh, terminology that they used up there, but are they, is it an elder must be self-revealing, transparent? Being able to talk about their failings and, and different weaknesses and things that they have. Not necessarily just pouring out all of his stuff in front of everyone publicly, but is there a, a, some real strong accountability in their life? We want to know, don't we, that the leaders that we have are accountable one to another. Amen? So, uh, some of the functions, we just talked about some of the qualifications, but some of the functions include praying and studying Scripture, leading the vision of the church, caring for the people of the church, teaching, protecting the people of the church from false doctrine and teachers, and raising up other leaders, raising up other leaders. Is this person a representative of Christ? both in His way and His truth. In His way and the truth. The truth of what we say can be right on the money, but the way in which we do it isn't going to necessarily produce the life of Jesus. I'll give you one that's pretty fresh, but, uh, you know, this morning... My son was over here, and both my sons were over here, and we were preparing, getting the stuff, and they were doing the chairs and everything, and I went over to, to uh, Justice and Jaron, you know, and I grabbed one of them by the, the nap of the neck, uh, the nape of the neck, and, uh, in a, you know, he gave me a little remark back, and so I just kind of, you know, I got angry, right? I got frustrated and irritated and had to go back to him a little bit later over here about 10 minutes later or so and just be able to say, you know, son, I was wrong for the way that I handled that, 
I, I got angry with you. I was frustrated with, with how things went. I want to produce the life of Jesus in people. God has to be able to use us in that way. Uh, I'm, this is not a pat me on the back at all. I'm just trying to provide an example of just a practical thing of how can we accurately represent Jesus to one another. If we can't do it with our own families, that's pretty tough to do it anywhere else. Another function uh, or maybe a result of being an elder would be soft hands. You're like, soft hands? Bishop, overseer, another term would be shepherd. You would think that a shepherd would have, I'm talking about a real sheep herder, shepherd. You'd think that a shepherd would have really rough hands. You know, he's out in the environment, out in the elements, and, you know, he's walking around with the staff. Um, Occupationally, a shepherd actually has some of the softest hands of anyone. Unless you're like a lanolin company or, you know, a hand lotion or something like that. But uh, shepherds, it's, the reason is because in the sheep's wool is a natural lanolin. It's in there. So when the sheep are coming in, he's counting them and he's putting his hands over them and he's checking them from time to time and makes sure that, you know, he's checking for ticks. Things that they might have picked up, spurs, uh, thorns, anything like that that would hurt them. He's constantly handling them as a result of handling them. And you see this, that, what does that speak of? Relationship. Relationship, being with the sheep, um, hanging out with them. How you doing, you know, uh, in their home, them, them in their home, your home and whatnot. So they have, they have soft hands. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. They respond to me. I love that picture. Jesus is the ultimate, the ultimate, the ultimate in every way. What an amazing responsibility to be able to represent him. Uh, another thing that, um, that I believe God is looking for is loyal descent. Brendan Manning talks about this in his book, the relentless tenderness of Jesus Christ. Loyal descent. And he wasn't specifically talking about that in regards to elders, but he was talking about those being led by the Holy Spirit and that there was, that there would be within all of us an ability to be loyal to God. You see, if, if I'm looking for other elders to come and serve with me in the work of this church, the, I'm not interested in them being loyal to me. Can you hear that? That's important. But here's the thing. If they're loyal to God, then all the other stuff will be worked out relationally. But that is a safeguard that we can all have is that someone is able, willing to be loyal to God and willing to dissent with man in order to follow God's word and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. That is going to produce a beautiful unity a beautiful unity in that leadership and in that church to be able to have loyal descent. Those may seem like completely anti, you know, words going in the opposite direction. But if you can marry those things together, you have a beautiful, beautiful picture of what it looks like to work together in a healthy way. We're not looking for yes men. 
We're not looking for yes men. We're looking for those that can be team players, though. Who are those that are already involved in the church, outside the church? Who are guys that are getting their hands dirty? Who's investing in people? Who's carrying the responsibility in the church, serving in different capacities? One of the great qualities that we're looking for is someone who has the heart of a father. The heart of a father. So that could be an older man, it could be a younger man, but they have the heart of a father. Looking for those who are still vibrant risk takers. We want consistency, but we want risk as well. Stepping into the unknown, being willing to step out, not just be uh, uh, settling for the status quo. So by the time that different ones are brought before the congregation uh, for this process of confirmation, which we'll come to at uh, a point here um, I'm, I'm hoping in the next month or so here that when there's those different candidates are brought before the congregation and they're, uh, the people are able to confirm and there's a real resonation in them because there's been a demonstration of servant leadership all along. Amen. I think that's where we're going to conclude. I want to leave us with just a couple of closing remarks here. So at a point here in the future, we're going to call the congregation to a time of prayer and fasting. And this will be just a a couple days, but we really want to tune in. We really want to hear, and we want the weight of this to really hit us because this is a wonderful but a sacred thing that we do in this process. And so we want everybody to have a sense of real participation uh, so I also there, there are some candidates, uh, or I guess some people who, and this could be kind of a sensitive area that will, will not be chosen for eldership. And maybe perhaps you see yourself as an elder, but we have to hold those desires with an open hand with an open hand before the Lord. Uh, But can we accept God's choosing coming through man's choosing? Imperfect as it is, flawed as it might be, but can we trust the Lord in all that? And that's where us as a people, we've got to come to that place. And so really posture in our our hearts that that, uh, the choice that God would facilitate through men uh, would actually be his choice. And, uh, but you know, how, how do we handle maybe not being picked for that particular team? Oh, so-and-so, and we can, you know, have a critical, you know, well, you know, we start itemizing all the different things and these are great opportunities for all of us to grow in these areas. Because just because it may not be now doesn't mean it isn't later on down the road. So God sees the inner workings of our hearts. And we want to make sure that we can be people, um, those that God can really trust to put that weight of responsibility on. Am I the type of person... 
according to God's Word, that is able to handle this and be called to the management, oversight, and supervision for the building of His church. Would you stand with me? There can be a there can be a tendency when we begin to talk about uh, places of authority and leadership that again can be a pretty sensitive area for some, especially when we've been hurt, taken advantage of uh, by someone in a place of authority over us. And it can be very difficult to not project our experience onto future leaders that we would have or uh, those who would seek to, to represent the Lord in that area. And we are talking about a perfect God who uses imperfect people. And that's not stated as an excuse by any stretch. But, um, but I, I just want to say that I, I believe, as I was, I was spending some time just uh, praying for this morning, that, that God would do a really unique and special work in terms of healing in regards to leadership uh, relationships. And that God would be able to heal, and He's capable. The issue is, are we willing on our side uh, to release those things um, because that's so important for us to be able to move forward as a people that we can learn to trust again. As difficult as that may be, and again, it could be whatever experience from your parental upbringing uh, to your church experience, whatever it is, to be able to release those things to the Lord and say, God, I'm not going to hold those things. I'm going to trust you by trusting your delegated authority once again. So I'd like to lead us in uh, prayer in that regard. Jesus, we choose to trust you again. Because we know that even our, the human representations who were imperfect, who did not do a good job representing your truth along with your way, that produced your life. It, it actually produced death in some ways in us. And we just give you that death. We choose not to hold on to that anymore so that we could make an exchange with you to receive your life once again. And so I just, I speak a, a release and a freedom over every single heart and every single mind. Every single heart, every single mind. Freedom, healing, forgiveness. We choose not to step into your place of judging. God, we release them and we choose again to trust you and extend that trust to one another and to the leaders who will lead your church in Jesus name. Amen.
We're going to get into more things in regards to uh, deacons and, and whatnot, but we're just spending the time right now. Uh, once we establish uh, some elders here in the near future, and then we'll go about uh, establishing who God would have for us in regards to deacons and the like. Amen. Bless you.